You're listening to the Pure Fury Creations Entertainment Network. The views and opinions expressed on this episode are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or philosophies of the PFC Entertainment Network or any of the affiliates that make this show possible. This show has also been rated M for mature audiences only. Bueller. Bueller. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious... Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. Now don't call me Shirley. Nobody can stay here. I'll be back. Wax on. Wax off. Go ahead. Make my day. Sweep the leg. Here, here. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. This is Power Trippin' Through the 80s with Jason Klaus and Sean Grugel on the PFC Entertainment Network. <laughs> Welcome to Power Trippin' Through the 80s here on the PFC Entertainment Network. Along with Sean Grugel, I'm Jason Klaus. We certainly appreciate you tuning in this week. Hey, before we get started here... Um, this is, I think this is the third week that we've used the new open for the show. And it took a couple of weeks, but I finally got my first piece of uh, feedback on that. And uh, it, was, it was much better received than the original open, although I am pretty particular about our original open because it was more or less our voices. But, you know, we got a little fancy with the new open. What's what's your takeaway on on the new open for the show, Sean? Oh, I like the new open. I mean, it basically is us in a nutshell. You know, I mean, it expands all genres, and uh, you know, I, I like the little clips from the movies and this, that, and the other. Uh, I, I particularly enjoyed it. I, I definitely like it better than the Heat Vents new open, but I do like the Heat Vents new open as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, listen, you know. I'll, the majority of, the, of our shows as we're coming into the fall season are getting a little, uh, a little revamps, new opens, things of this nature. Klaus the Heart podcast has, you know, new new open music and um, going to do something with the real podcast. Say What is still brand new, so it's going to be a while. Before. Well, I did actually tweak her, her open, too. I took some of the sound bites out and put new ones in that kind of you know they describe her they describe the show but uh just wanted wanted to throw that out there right at the start of this week's show because i i that was a fun project i i did have fun putting that uh together but uh be that as it may how are the uh house things in your neck of the woods you know we're just taking it day by day out here you know i don't want to start to show off with any uh 
downer moments from my last week or so. You know, I've had a pretty good week. Uh, not too much to talk about. The the the, the shop at the Holling Antiques is doing pretty well, and uh, you know, uh, life is good. It, it don't get a whole lot better than this. So, love hearing that. Absolutely love hearing that. And you know, I say all the time, good things do come to good people. And uh, you know you're one of the best, so I'm I'm glad to hear that things are going well. Certainly deserve that, and it it's exciting to see that the uh, that your shop at the antique store is is doing as well as it is. That makes me very happy for you. And I'm going to have to make a run out there here pr- pretty quick and check that out. Problem is, usually when I come into Holly, it's it's after standard operating hours time so uh well i'm gonna have to make a more more of an effort to get out there during business hours for for sure yeah we're uh actually already talking about graduating from a large case to actually going with a full-blown booth a vendor booth because Hmm. uh you know i've already covered enough uh already done enough sales up there to cover rent for about four or five months and uh we got a lot more stuff to to move, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I got I got a lot of bigger items, slot machines and uh, old 80s TVs and uh, old video game entertainment centers and, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, if anyone's looking for any of that type of stuff, hit me up on the old Facebook and, you know, make a deal before I put it into shop and lose 20 percent on it. So, <laughs> So how does that work? Um, if somebody was to go into the antique store when you weren't there, but they saw something of yours that they wanted for sale, how does that work? Do they contact you? Do the people at the antique store h- handle that for you? How, how does that work? Well, I'm going to let you in on a little inside information when it comes to thrift shops, okay? okay. Unless it's posted on the wall or by the cash register when you walk in, whatever you pick up, immediately ask for 10% off of it if you want it because that is a standard in most thrift shops if you're renting a booth they tell you to price accordingly so you know if i'm selling something for you know $10 you should be able to go up to the counter and get it for $9 right off the bat now what happens from there is if you want to go lower than that then yeah the people who are running the store at the time they'll contact me and They'll act like a middle person to negotiate the deal. I had a, I had something like that happen to me the other day. They called me up. I had a, a Falcor from the Never Ending Story mm-hmm. uh, selling my Luck Dragon. And uh, the woman asked if it was all right if they could hold it. Said, yeah, that's fine. You know, whatever. Um, but she was going to pay the full price on it. We didn't have to negotiate a deal. My prices are pretty reasonable. But... Uh, at this particular thrift shop, uh, my rent rent varies from booth to booth. My rent is only $30 a month, but then the owner gets 10% off of whatever you sell as well. So right off the bat, I'm losing 20% of whatever price I put on my item. Every item you sell, they get 10% off? Every item. Okay. And so potentially I could be losing 20% each sale plus $30 a month in rent. But like they say price accordingly so, right yeah interesting i didn't know that i'm not a real uh seasoned veteran in thrift shopping you know so i that's that's good information i didn't know that that's 
it's going to come in handy next time I head down to uh, Dixieland. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, I don't know how that works with Dixieland because those people man their own booths. See, it's true. It's worth it to me because where I'm at, um, sure, the shop owner uh, gets 10% off, but I don't have to man any registers. I don't have to do any paperwork. I don't have to file any taxes. I don't have to pay for bags or wrapping that they use to wrap the product in to give to the customer. You know, so the 10% is worth it for me. Hey, whatever works for you, man. And it's obviously doing well. So kudos to you, sir. So far, so good. We'll see what happens. Maybe we'll get that shout out from, well, fuck, Webster number one and then yeah. Fall Sack number two. So oh, there goes my phone. Um, I'm going to have to put them away. So put what away? The call? Uh, the call. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, listen. Um, Peel the curtain back a little bit. We, you and I, spent a little bit of time at Backroads last night, and uh, our home away from home, <laughs> as it turns out. And uh, during the course of that conversation, and a couple of drinks later, we came up with uh, with the topic for this week. And talking about all things 1980s, we wanted to dive into several things that may not garner the kind of attention in the headlines that they probably should have during that time. But in the grand scheme of things, these were monumental events that took place. So we are going to shed some spotlight on the things that happened in the 1980s that you may have forgotten about. So let's this let's talk about forgetfulness real quick. Yeah. I can remember the 80s. Mm-hmm. I can't remember eight o'clock yesterday. So. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you what the hell I had for breakfast yesterday, but I did remember what happened on May 13th, 1988. You know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I get it. I get it. So they have a number of things here that, that we're going to touch on. Some, I you know, because of, when it happened, I have no recollection of, and other ones are very prominent in, in the memory brain, for example. The Marielle, Marielle boat lift from Cuba makes headlines, and what was already a tense moment between Cuba and the United States, Fidel Castro agreed to allow thousands of Cubans seeking asylum to leave the island for Miami, Florida in September of 1980. This forever changed the makeup of Miami as well as how the country viewed immigration. This is what is a lot. This is what a lot of people point to as the influx of Cubans coming into Miami. And now in this day and age, Miami has kind of its own culture and it's very, very heavily influenced by the Cubans. And it starts with this now this is not the first time immigrants fled cuba and they landed in miami but this was the first really uh movement that got picked up by the news wires and not only that it was endorsed by castro so this was you know in the grand scheme of things and even though i don't remember this i can see where this was 
a big damn deal later on down the line. I remember this. Do you? I, yeah, I remember seeing the news. If I remember right, if this is the same thing I'm thinking of, I remember seeing these immigrants in the water on makeshift rafts, some of them coming over just like doggy paddling with their suitcase under their chest to stay afloat. You know, I seem to remember something about the influx of immigrants into Miami. Now, I was six years old, so I couldn't get into all the political details of it. I just remember seeing the images from TV. Uh, when, you, when you were talking about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it was all starting to come back to me a little bit. But uh, how, how bad of conditions do you have to live in to risk your life to put a suitcase under your chest to swim across the ocean to get to Miami? You know, I mean, that must have been one hell of a regime over there. You see that now all over the world. Yeah. You know, these people are that are fleeing these these countries to find some sort of asylum somewhere else. So like you there's a goddamn war going on, you know, on the other side of the world right now, and there's, you know, thousands upon thousands of people trying to get out of the war zones. You know, right now we're orchestrated by Russia and, and, and all this other shit, and they're trying to get out, trying to find somewhere safe i mean it happened in iraq it happened with afghanistan it happened you know it happens all over the place the problem is unless it becomes a pretty significant skirmish we don't hear about it you know so <clears throat> kind of crazy but it makes you wonder is this where razor ramon come from Ah, <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> I think he was supposed to be Cuban, wasn't he? Wasn't he a mm -hmm. white Cuban? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 you know, we were talking about, eh, okay, let's go on a complete sidebar. Yep. Complete sidebar. Richard, King Richard and I were talking last night. We were talking about wrestlers who were never heavyweight champion in the 80s who should have been a heavyweight champion. And he brought up Razor Ramon. What is your opinion on Razor Ramon? Should he or shouldn't have he been a heavyweight champion at that point in time where he was at? As Razor Ramon? As Razor Ramon, not Scott Hall. No. I said the same thing, uh, especially with the amount of talent that was on the roster at that point in time. Uh, Razor Ramon was right where he needed to be with the Intercontinental Championship. Now, had he stayed in the WWF and not jumped to WCW when he did with Kevin Nash, and had he stayed in the WWF, I could see a window of time where it would have made perfect sense to elevate him into the heavyweight championship pitcher. Uh, but where he was at, what, and like you said, it's very, and it, it's all because of. The time frame that he was in the company you had diesel you had undertaker you had brett you had sean michaels um in that time razor would have been the odd man out yeah. you know when you can when you stack him up against those guys and that's not talking disparaging against scott hall because the dude was uber talented had a great look had a great gimmick but in that time intercontinental champion at best for sure 
Um, I said, get your thoughts on this. I know we're deviating, but hell with it. That's what we do here on Power Tripping Through the 80s. Plus, mm-hmm. we got people that listen to us that like wrestling, so what the hell. Yeah. I said Mr. Perfect should have been a heavyweight champion at one point in time. And then there's the one I want to get your thoughts on. Hello, ladies. <laughs> Val Venus. Think he absolutely should have been a heavyweight champion at one point in time, whether it was transitional or not. Are you trying that to play? A, are you trying to play a clip or something? <laughs> no, no. I was moving my cursor so it didn't accidentally hit hit the uh, the stop button because I gotcha. had that happen before. Um, I never saw Val Venus for anything more than intercontinental at best. Really? Yeah. Because of the gimmick. It was a one-dimensional gimmick. It was very one-dimensional. And when you got into the uh and tie when they choppy choppy this pee-pee off, that was kind of like the downfall of Val yeah. Venus right there. Yeah. Um the last one I brought up, and this one will surprise you. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, I think, should have been a heavyweight champion. In the WWF? In the WWF, like at around the time when he was feuding with Savage over the Intercontinental title. I think Again, no? it's, it, it's 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 all about the timing. Yeah. You know, he was in there during the whole Hulkamania boom. You know, when he was fighting Savage, Hogan and Andre were bringing 90,000 people into the Silverdome. And even though Savage and Steamboat stole the show because they did, um, look, I'm one of the biggest Ricky Steamboat fans there ever was. He's always been in my in my top five top 10 love that guy um i but i'll tell you this seeing him win the nwa world title from rick flair yeah was like i was so ecstatic because i knew even at that time he was never going to be the wwf champion as long as hulk hogan was on was on top but you go to the nwa and he had that trilogy of matches with rick flair and they were off the charts and I was happy that he did get one world championship on his resume before it was all said and done. I would have liked to have also seen, and I know he was in the era of Hogan, but one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, the magnificent Don Morocco. I think he should have been a heavyweight champion at one one point in time. Uh, never never taking it from Hogan. I, he, he could never take it from Hogan, you mm-hmm. know, but... Uh, if it would have been pre-Hogan, you know, maybe if he would have been the one to beat Bob Backlund, you know, instead of the Iron Sheik. Uh, but then, you know, then you would have never had that epic match between Hogan and the Iron Sheik. So there's a right. whole lot of what-ifs and variables in there. But just based purely on in-ring skill and not timing, I think Don Morocco would have been a fucking phenomenal heavyweight champion. Yeah, I agree. Um, he... You know, it seems like his heyday was just before we started watching, really started paying attention to the WWF. He was the Intercontinental Champion in the early 80s. And seeing what he was then and how he was presented, and then by the time we came into it and really dialed into it, he was a secondary character. But, like, I have videotapes of matches with him and Hogan even from Saturday night's main event when Bundy come in and squashed Hogan and that set up WrestleMania two 
Uh, Don Morocco is one of those guys that he was a utility player, but man, he was so talented, so yeah. underappreciated. And by the time the mid eighties come around, he had really gotten that, that trademark build to him to the point to where it, it garnered my father's attention. And my dad didn't re really watch wrestling all that much. Like he knew who the main guys were. But when he saw the magnificent Morocco on, he's like, damn, that is a big boy. And, uh, you know, there's no telling what could have been. I feel like in, in when he formed that team with Bob Orton, I feel like they could have been tag team champions. And why they didn't put more emphasis on that tag team, I don't know. Because you had two of the very best at that time that were just overshadowed by the umbrella of Hulkamania. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was, Hulk Hogan. Even even now, reign supreme as far as I'm concerned. So, but yeah. we should probably get back to the list, even though I could sit and talk about wrestling <laughs> all day long. So, all right, back on the uh, back on topic here, and the other things that happened in the '80s that we may not have known about. Richard Pryor sets himself on fire in 1980. Yep, and I knew what, that. And what could be considered one of the stranger moments of 1980? Richard Pryor doused his body with rum, set himself on fire, and ran down his neighborhood street in California. Fortunately, Pryor was stopped and given medical attention, allowing him to not only survive, but continue his career in comedy. Cocaine is a hell of a drug, my friend. It is a hell of a drug, and Richard Pryor had to market on that shit back then. So, Right. Uh, but a hell of a comedian, too. Oh, for sure. His stand-up is groundbreaking and mm. oh, go ahead i was gonna say you know why people forget about richard Pryor setting himself on fire i do michael because jackson, michael jackson. <laughs> yeah now for those who don't know what we're talking about um michael jackson not on purpose set himself on fire during the filming of a pepsi commercial one of the pyrotechnics went off and caught his hair on fire and uh, there's actually footage of that. I've seen footage of that where it was very, very quick clip where his hair is on fire. And then somebody just instantly tackles him and, you know, put, puts his head out or whatever. But, um, yeah, dude, that was Michael Jackson and Richard Pryor as a quote unquote team became the punchline of yeah. a lot of jokes, you know. Yeah. Um and then our, our fire guy was the Undertaker when he got caught up in his own pyro. Him and Jeff Hardy both. Jeff yeah. Hardy got burned uh, pr pretty good one time uh, with uh, with all the pyro. But the Undertaker one, I remember. <laughs> well, he was ripping his coat <laughs> off and <Yeah>. fuck! <laughs> fucking making a beeline. It was during one, one of the chamber matches. You're like, why is he moving so fast? <laughs> Quickest entrance Undertaker ever had. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, 1981, May of 1981. Uh, this was a sad day for music fans. Bob Marley, the king of reggae, um, entranced audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, entranced audiences with his spiritual voice and lyrics. In May of 81, Marley succumbed to uh, skin cancer and was laid to rest. Let's capped off a decade of the Rastafarian movement, which Marley had made popular and left fans mourning for years to come. 
Now, I'll be straight up. I wasn't a big Bob Marley fan, um, but you know who he is. That was his that was his reach. Whether you were a fan of his or not, seeing the reach that this guy had with his fan base and that was actually able to eclipse his fan base, this man is a musical icon that does not get talked about nearly enough. No, you're right. Uh, if you go to Sirius XM, there's actually a, a station dedicated to Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, of course, you wouldn't know it by looking at me, but, you know, I do listen to a lot of reggae on there. You know, and Bob Marley uh, was a big influence to one of my favorite bands, uh, and it became popular because they sung the theme song to Cops, was Inner Circle. Mm-hmm. And uh, with, you know, the, the bad boys, uh, mm-hmm. what you going to do? Um, Bob Marley, uh, you know, he was a lot of, he, he was very political in his music. Um, very anti-establishment, uh, very much for the, uh, oh, the puff, puff pass, you know, uh, what was that, uh, past, the something on the right-hand side, past, the I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but you know, uh, Bob Marley was, uh, I mean, if his music is the type of music where I'm driving home and if I'm <laughs> in heavy traffic, I put Bob Marley on, I'm instantly calmed down. It chills you out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a vibe. Yep. Very much a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, you know, to this day, you can go into just about any music store, records. I don't even, they, even make, they don't even make record stores anymore, but there's a lot of pop culture stores, your hot topics, th- things of this nature. And there's something in there with Bob Marley on it. You know, you go to a lot of these uh, cannabis festivals and things of this nature. There's Bob Marley swag there because he was he was the pitcher. He was the poster boy for an entire movement. And look where we're at here and now. So it just goes to show his his reach. Just just to kind of correct you a little bit. You say there is no record shops. You put your you put your nose to the grindstone, so to speak. You'll find. A matter of fact, you got one pretty much right next door to you. There's a record shop. Is and there? I, yeah, I go in there quite frequently. Uh, well, you know, I got quite the vinyl collection. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm no Todd Gilbert or you know uh, Brett Fortney, but I do have quite quite a few vinyl records. You know. Yeah, you do. That you do. I guess that's why I don't pay attention to it because I have nothing like that here. You know, I don't have a record player. I don't have albums. I don't have any of that stuff. So I know you I, got your you got your Arthur album here. I got it's still waiting for you. So <laughs> Arthur, such a good movie. All right, moving on. Now this one I do remember. 1981 in May of 1981 was already an eventful month. Then two days after the passing of Bob Marley, Pope John Paul II was shot four times by. I'm going to fuck this name up. Mehmet Ali Adka in Vatican City. Luckily, the Pope survived and even forgave the man, a gesture that surprised many. They would eventually develop a friendship after Ali was released from prison with the help of the Pope. Isn't that something? You know, what can you say about the Pope? Um, I can't say nothing because I'm not Catholic. I don't pay much attention to religion, but that's probably the number one reason why you see that big giant bulletproof case when he comes rolling into town now and he's standing up blessing the passersby. 
that is exactly why that's a thing now. Yeah. I there is a uh, there's video footage. Um, he went on a tour, a world tour in 1987, and um, it, his tour came to Michigan and it was in the Silverdome and there is footage of them wheeling him out inside the, the, the Silverdome with the boxed cart with the bulletproof glass in it so that's that this is why that's a thing all right we kind of touched on this a week or two ago, and it's on this list. And I don't know why this is on the list of things that you may not remember, because like, like you said, we talked about this uh, not all that long ago. And if we remember this from our age at this time, then why in the fuck is it on this list? But uh, the, the, the July 29th, 1981 wedding of the century between Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer was married. How could you forget about something like that? I mean, it was so overly hyped and so overly commercialized. I mean, you could still find stuff now that has everything to do with that wedding. Um, This person needs to start listening to Power Tripping through the 80s. You might want to send them a link once we're done with the show. I do that now. (laughs) When when we... I wasn't able to last week when we broke down that other list, but I have sent our show links to, if somebody wrote a list and they have their contact information on their email or whatever, I do. I send them the, the link to the show. Hey, we found your list. We talked about it. <laughs> I have not gotten any feedback yet back from it. That's because they know we're right and they're wrong. Fuck That's yeah. very simple. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one here. Sandra Day O'Connor gets appointed on September. Yep. Okay. On on September twenty first, nineteen eighty one. Man, a lot of shit happened in nineteen eighty one. Sandra Day O'Connor was appointed by the U.S. Senate as the first female Supreme Court justice. This event was memorable on so many levels, considering it had never happened before, and laid the groundwork for future. Justices like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor. Um, (laughs) Historic. All right. I want to talk about this real quick. Just how that little clip was written. So she's appointed as the first judge, right? Female. But Female judge. But they say it's so memorable. But this list is the things that you don't remember. Right. So I don't, I remember this. Uh, and let's face it, my name's not Kristen Watt. I, I'm, you know, she will tell you that she is an extreme feminist. She will probably know everything about this appointment. Me, I remember it happening because it was just a significant event in U.S. history. Right. So how can you have memorable moments, but be on a list that people probably won't remember? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I think this is subjective, and I think a lot of this is written with our age demo at the forefront, because when we, I mean, we've sat here for over a year now talking about the different things of the 1980s that we remember that came across our radar that was a significant deal to us 
at no point have we discussed Pope John Paul being shot. At no point have we have we talked about Sandra Day O'Connor becoming the first female justice. There, you know, so I, I, I don't know if, if that's the premise of this list. And, and you're right, because as I'm going down this thing, I'm like, why is this on here? But in the grand scheme of things of the 1980s, these things don't register. Bingo. I was going to say, every every subject, every topic is subjective. Yeah. You know, if it was important, I hate to make it sound like this, because I'm not trying to downplay the importance of the Pope being shot or Sandra Day O'Connor being appointed. But, you know, if it was important to me as a kid, you know, that's generally what we talk about, because we talk about the good times that happened in the 80s, you know, uh, it's not that it's not important. It just didn't register to me as maybe hard as it would have registered with Kristen. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're moving to 1982 here. Oh, baby steps. <laughs> the CDC recognizes the AIDS virus. Oh, well, hell, haven't we been talking about talking about this for a little bit now? Mm. To many, this moment should have come out. Much earlier, but in September 1982, the CDC finally recognized the AIDS virus and made reports confirming cases. This was monumental since many people doubted the existence of the virus or simply labeling it as the gay sickness. Because we, we, we've touched on this. Yeah. This is what people incorporated into the whole AIDS epidemic. This only this only affects gay people. This only happens when you have gay sex. No, this is not it. And as uh, research has proven, and where we are here and now, the very initial findings and things of this nature were were completely dismissed because oh, just gay people thing. <laughs> it's not. Well Remember, they didn't know a whole lot about it. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is where the advent of toilet seat covers came from. Because, you know, they, they would tell us you would have to clean the toilet seat before you went to the bathroom because you can catch AIDS if someone had HIV that used the toilet before you and didn't clean the toilet. Uh, we were told that you could catch AIDS through hand-to-hand -hand contact if you each had cuts on your hand. I remember at one point in time they said if someone was to spit in your mouth as gross wow. as that sounds <clears throat> but you can catch aids from that they didn't know what they were dealing with much like this whole deal with you know covid you know uh eight uh, aids was our you know version of covid now so yeah for sure <clears throat> all right 1983 baby steps in March of 1983, President Ronald Reagan announced his missile defense system nicknamed Star Wars. Star Wars! By Democratic Senator Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy. Dude, that's a dude that we could do a whole... You want to talk about controversial? Yeah. Uh, uh, many critics expressed concern over the program's potential to reignite a dangerous arms race. Yep, I remember that. Uh, we were in the Cold War with Russia around that time, and... Uh, you know, that was the biggest threat nuclear, nuclear threat. And, yeah. uh, do you remember how our, <laughs> how in school when we used to have the drills that our desks were supposed to save us from a nuclear threat? 
if we were if we were to hear the sirens go off, we would have to put our hands behind our head and duck under our desk because that was going to save us from nuclear war. I do remember that. <laughs> it, it was it was us. We what we had to do is we had to push our desks all depending on where they were situated. Like this section went to this wall, this section went to that wall, and then you pick you got your heaviest hardcover book, which I believe was our math book. And we would put that over in the back of our heads, put it over top of the back of our heads and our necks in case some some shrapnel came. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, we ran those drills a couple times every year. Just yep. you, you, And uh, I, I think that's why the movie, the original movie Red Dawn freaked me out so bad. Not because it had anything to do with 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 the nuclear war or anything, but because of the tensions between them, the 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 United States and the Soviet Union, we were very concerned, especially us being younger because we paid too much attention to what was on TV. We were worried that a Red Dawn type of scenario could happen where all these Russian troops just start dropping in and, and taking over American cities and shit like that. Like that was a concern for us. Um, granted it was in the movies and it all worked out pretty well for a while there when, Reagan and Gorbachev had their summit and, and, and all this, but at this time, man, the Cold War, very, very real threat. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I right. don't got nothing to say. Wolverines! You know, that's all I got to say. <laughs> oh, fun. 1983, Sally Ride becomes the first American woman in space. Uh, I did a little bit of research on this th this morning. Sally Ride became the first American woman in space as part of the Space Shuttle Challenger crew. She inspired numerous fans and laid the groundwork for many other women in the industry. Now, up until this time, and I don't know why this did not register, especially when we did research for the Challenger explosion in 86 that we did an episode on here uh, a while back. I did not realize that there were more than one Challenger shuttle, but Sally Ride uh, was the first American woman in space, went up in Challenger. Now, the, the, the kicker to all this is when the explosion happened in 1986 and President Reagan formed the task force to investigate what happened with that catastrophe, Sally Ride was on that panel. So it was kind of crazy how it all worked itself away you know worked itself around now sidebar if you go on hulu if you have hulu go to the history channel uh portion of hulu they have this five episode docu-series called the days that made america um the challenger explosion is episode one and i actually watched it uh, yesterday and really I mean they did a tremendous job and then I started watching the one that they did on on the Waco siege now had that happened in the, in the 1980s we would be talking about that here on the show because there was so much about that I did not know was happening until I watched this documentary so if you're into history by all means check that out there's Challenger there's Waco there's 9-11 there's um Oh, uh, Oklahoma City bombing. There was another one. Uh, but 
very, very, very well done. Oh, the Boston Marathon bombing was was the other one. Very well done pieces here. So if if you're if you're into that type of thing, <clears throat> okay, back on track. 1983, Michael Jackson released his spooky thriller music video, and it created a monster. Uh, directed by John Landis and released on MTV, the song and zombie dance sequence became a worldwide sensation. It won the 1984 Grammy Award for Best Video Album, as well as the 1985 Grammy for Best Video Longform. Now, John Landis is um, one of the more polarizing directors in the history of Hollywood. He made the Blues Brothers. He made Trading Places. He made Animal House. He made a lot of these big blockbuster movies, but his career took a took a turn when he was filming the Twilight Zone movie and actor Vic Morrow, who was uh, part of the original Bad News Bears movie, um, was actually, and I'm not, I don't say this as a joke because it's not funny at all, but it was just, I couldn't even fucking imagine, but he was decapitated during the filming of, of the Twilight Zone movie in a helicopter accident. I did not know that. No. Yeah. Uh, John Landis was in deep shit because of that. And because everybody, because he was the, the, the director, um, they all, they all came after him. Now he's had a resurgence since then. Like I said, he, he made this video. He, and I believe this video came out after the twilight zone incident. And then he went on to make coming to America and, and a bunch of, of other movies, blockbusters. But, uh, this music video. Kind of set the bar, didn't it, Sean? As far as what could be a music video. Yeah, it took music videos in a whole different direction. Uh, you know, we touched that before. You know, Michael did it again with uh, in conjunction with Disney. He uh, came out with Captain EO. Uh, it was an interactive ride music video. I, I believe it was a trilogy of songs, actually, when you went through the ride. Uh, Michael Jackson was such a creative genius when it came to his own stuff. But when you look at music videos, man, there was nothing like MTV in the 80s. You know, you never know what you're going to see. I mean, one of the weirdest videos out there ever, and if someone can explain it to me, I would love to have you on the show and have you explain it to us. No Way Out by Starship. If you've ever seen this music video, Jason, write it down. You got to watch it when we get off of here. It is one of the strangest music videos I have ever seen in my life. I'm trying to get, uh, there's an influencer on TikTok uh, under Maya Reacts, and it's a mother with her daughter. Her daughter's like 18, 19 years old, and they watch music videos from the 80s together. And I'm trying to get her to d watch this No Way Out because I want to see how this 18, 19-year-old girl reacts to this video because it is literally one of the strangest videos I've ever seen. But again, heavily influenced from the Thriller album. You'd be, you would have to watch it to understand what I mean. I will check that out when, we, uh, when we're done recording. No Way Out by Starship, you said. By Starship. Yeah, it could be Jefferson Starship, but, you know, same thing. Right. It'll so, pop up. It'll yeah. pop up. Okay, I'll check that out. All right, 1985. Steve Jobs gets fired from Apple computers. 
In a highly controversial move, Steve Jobs was forced to resign from the company he helped to create. Attentions between John Scully and Jobs over the sales failure of their 1984 Macintosh computer resulted in Jobs leaving. He eventually returned in 1996 and helped revitalize Apple, turning it into the tech superpower it is here today. Interesting. I got nothing because I don't deal with Apple products. I am a Samsung guy through and through. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't care what these Apple heads say about me. Uh, I've been a Galaxy since the Galaxy S3, I think it was. So I won't have any other type of phone. Well, I'm not a tech guy, so I don't really have, I mean, I have an Apple phone, um, but it's just because that's what I use for my phone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any, I don't have any um, loyalty, for the lack of a better term, to this particular brand. It's just what, what I've had. I'm happy with it. I know how to use it, and fuck it. <laughs> yeah, that's how I am with the galaxies. You know, I, I played with my daughter's Apple phone before and her friend's Apple phone before. I just, I don't know. There's something about one button that I don't like. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's the six year old of me that wants to push 50,000 buttons. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Steve Jobs, yay, you're a millionaire. Yeah, I, you ain't never cut me a check before. Go fuck off with that. Bye, Steve Jobs. Next one. Okay. <laughs> The first ozone layer hole was discovered above the oh, Antarctic. Oh, man. In May of 1985, scientists discovered the first hole in the ozone layer located directly above the Antarctic. The hole was caused by pollution and once discovered and once once discovered, a plan was enacted to fix it. The Montreal Protocol of 1987 was the first plan approved by every country in the United Nations and focused on the restrictions of CFCs that emitted ozone-destroying chlorines. This became a big deal for us. Dude, it was all over the news. They, uh, you had to go have your emissions checked on your cars constantly. I remember at one point in time they were blaming it on the emissions from cattle when they take a shit in the field. Yeah. You know, they were blaming it on everything. Um, much like the pandemic, they didn't know what was going on, you know. And I, I still find it silly that this would be on a list of things that we don't remember because they still talk about global warming today. So, eh. It is what it is. They really want to check the ozone hole there. They need to check above my house because cows ain't got shit on my gas. So. <laughs> well, that's a new slogan coming to the cafepress.com <laughs> forward slash PFC network. Cows don't have shit on my gas. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right, 1987, Prozac goes on sale and becomes the most prescribed antidepressant. I'm having a hard time getting my fucking tongue to work here today, pal. Need some uh, Prozac. Within two years of being available to U.S. markets, the antidepressant drug Prozac became one of the most pre prescribed medications of the 1980s. Well, thanks for the recap. You just said that in the fucking title. <laughs> That's literally all they got all right 14 uh 1988 
My wife was born in 1988. <laughs> CDs take over the music world, very briefly. By 1988, CD sales surpassed the cassette and vinyls enough to push both antiquity. I don't know what the fuck that is. Ironically, CD sales plummeted with the introduction of digital music by the late 90s. I get it. I get it. You know, uh, things we could have forgotten. But at the same time, how many people still have CD players in their car? So how are you going to forget that that was something? Yeah, exactly. You know, you're going to forget something like that. Don't get me wrong. Digital media has taken over the world. I Every day I got earphones in my ears and I'm listening to music or I'm listening to podcasts. You know, the real podcast or Klaus to the Heart or, you know, uh, Say What, you know. or The Heat you know, Vent. The Heat Vent. Yeah, that Levi guy is something else. Um, he is something else. Mad. Always angry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, uh, you can say that CDs pushed out vinyl and cassettes, but as we talked about earlier, man, I got a large collection of vinyl. Uh, you know, two other uh, hosts who are in limbo right now with Brett Fortney and Todd Gilbert, they both have large vinyl collections. There's still record stores out there doing very good. Um, to me, if I had my choice... I would listen to records over cassettes, CDs, or digital media because there's something about the hiss of that needle on that record. You know, it just takes you back, and that that's the best part about music. I specifically remember people talking about CDs. Now, real quick sidebar. Do you know that there are people who don't know what CD stands for? I'm sure there are, but they got to be under, you know, 30. Yeah. So yeah. the compact disc is, is what CD stands for. Um, but their whole marketing thing was the music you loved that you were meant to listen to without or, the scratches, without like it was supposed to be so crystal clean, clear. Yeah. I, I believe the slogan was music the way it was supposed to sound. That's what it was. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. But what much like what you just said and i think that's the resurgence of popularity now with you know all these all these artists that are releasing new music now not only are they re releasing it in digital platform they are now once again selling vinyl records you can go to any store right now walmart target fucking whoever and they have in their entertainment section a vinyl record section and i and i think it's great because when I see it, when I see vinyl records, I think of my parents, man, because they had such an enormous collection of vinyl records. And I believe my dad still has them. And if he does, like, there's going to be a day where I'm getting them motherfuckers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But uh, you say, you know, when you put on the record and it just has that distinct sound to it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just hmm, the resurgence of, of nostalgia has really, and it's kind of taken over once again. Like, you don't see CDs in the stores anymore, but by God, you see vinyl records. And the new vinyl nowadays, and <clears throat> I'll have a debate with Todd on this at some point in time. The new vinyl that's coming out, I don't think it sounds or plays the same as the vinyl of old. 
I think the vinyl of old still sounds better than the vinyl that's being put out nowadays. Let's get Todd on here uh, in the next week or two, because that's I, w- I would like to de- dive deeper into that. OK, because you know, he he has a vast knowledge of of that type of thing. So I'll. Uh... Jason, you froze. Looks like and. Uh, did I? Yeah, you froze for about can five, me? six. I can hear you now. OK. I don't know what what happens like. It happened last week, too. But anyway, as I was saying, I'll I'll make a note and try to cut that out. Um, we'll we'll get Todd Gilbert on here, and uh, we we can have a discussion about vinyl, you know, then versus now. Real quick, uh, as it pertains to Todd Gilbert, he is starring in live stage plays right now. Uh, you can see Todd Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, September 15th, 16th, 17th, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Shows are respectively at 7 p.m. and on Sundays at 2 p.m. at the Flint Local 432. Tickets are $10 at the door, and you can call for info at 415-246-0064. There you go, Todd. Gave you a quick plug to entice you on coming on power tripping through the 80s. So, I got some going on a road so. trip? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, look, I I would I would be curious to to see that. I'm not curious. I would be in, interested to go see him. And I've seen him do music. I've seen him do podcasts. You know, I, this I know he's passionate about this. So I I wouldn't mind going to check that out. Maybe we I, we could get some of the all stars to go. I wouldn't mind going to see it. The problem is, and Todd, I love you to death, brother, but you got to start doing shit outside of Flint because Flint and I are like oil and water. I don't like Flint and Flint doesn't like me. So, and I got to stop saying so after everything I say, damn it, Jason, next time I do it, I get fined a dollar or something. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I could be on strike next week, pal. So damn right. (laughs) All right, the last one they have here, 1989, the first web page was created. In late 1989, Tim Berners-Lee created the first web browser. This would lay the groundwork for basically every website we use here today and changed how we communicate, make purchases, and more. Now, Al Gore takes... He invented the internet. He takes full credit in inventing the internet. Um, this gentleman apparently is the one credited with making the first web browser. So you look at 1989 and here we are in 2023 and holy shit, the entire world has changed. I remember my buddy, Dan Summers, he got one of the first computers that connected to the internet and we used to play a game. It was like a peer to peer network called pimp wars. And, uh, <clears throat> that was a big deal. And then I got on to uh, trading groups online. And we would trade trade like wrestling theme songs. And I would get so pissed off if I would send someone one of the theme songs and they wouldn't send me the one I wanted back. You know, now it's amazing. You can go on MP3 Skull or, you know, some other music service. And in two seconds, you got your your song, you know, and you froze again. There you are. Fucker. 
Okay. It, it's funny though because after it unfreezes, then you become like a Japanese Godzilla movie. So like your lips are not in sync with your mouth. It's great. <laughs> so, but uh, I'll tell you a quick story about my buddy Dan. Uh, let's face it: when you were younger, boy, those porn sites they were they were uh, popping up all over the place. Let's say, and. Uh, I remember one time I took this picture of this lady, very, very well endowed lady, and I put Dan's face on it through Photoshop. And I, I you know, it was his computer, and I saved it as his, you know, background screen on his computer. Well, he didn't tell me this. And I went to work the next day. When, when I came back, uh, oh, he didn't tell me he was having his computer repaired the next day, and he didn't tell me this. And uh, I went to work. <laughs> I come back the next day, and he was so pissed off at me because the guy opened up, turned on his computer. There's Dan, <laughs> face on this very well endowed woman who was very, very much spread eagle. <laughs> and I wasn't allowed to use his computer for a while. <laughs> after I can't that. imagine why. <laughs> hey, that was the beginnings of my Photoshop, man. I I got pretty damn good at Photoshop, I'll tell you. <laughs> That's fun. Well, that's all I have on my list for the things that uh, we may not have remembered, although we remembered most of them, which is fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's so funny and comical to me that a person would write a list about things that you don't remember, but then use the description. These events were so memorable. Yeah. Uh, talk about your oxymorons yeah. or just yeah. morons. Well, I think you nailed it right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because, I mean, it was, you know, it's cool to to shed some spotlight on things like that. Because, like like we said, these are not things that generally come across our radar just because of our age and how old we were in the 80s. Now, our parents, if we had submitted this list to them, hey, do you remember this, that, and the other thing? And I would imagine that their answers are going to be very different and with a lot more recollection than what we had unless it was something that was of substantial significance to us. Challenger, for for, for example, for explosion, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, you know, like I remember Princess Diana and Prince Charles and like all this shit. Like I remember it from one aspect. I, and I'm sure, especially with that, when I think about the royal wedding, like I remember, I remember my mom talking about it. Not that she gave a shit, but... She was a woman, and women are generally attracted to the whole monarchy thing, the whole princess and happily ever after in the castles and all this shit. Real-life Disney movie shit, right? Um, but as we have found out since then, like, mm, there's, a, there's a lot of darkness that goes on over there across the pond over at, you know, Buckingham Palace, I feel like. Just, you know, from well, an outsider looking in. I think it's just like with any job, you always got someone looking to stab someone in the back or step on someone to get ahead in life. You know, whether it's working at a grocery store, working at GM, or working for the monarchy. You know, right. I, there's always there's always someone looking out for number one and not looking out for the betterment of the company as a whole. True story. Well, I don't have anything else on this list, my friend. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest before we put a bow on this? 
Um, yeah, I do. There was something I think I mentioned an episode or two ago. Uh, Sharon and I doing these unboxing videos, so we got another snack crate coming. Uh, I did receive a package from across the pond from my buddy Bam. Uh, some different candies and whatnot. Uh, he did call me to warn me that one of the candies uh, literally uh, tore the inner layer of his mouth out. It was so, yeah, it burned his mouth up. It was so bad. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, <laughs> we're not, <laughs> uh, but right now, with everything going on with me uh, intestinally, digestively, and whatnot. We're going to put it off until October 8th when Hunter comes home uh, from uh, his service with the Army. So looking forward to that. Um, so that's less than a month away. And, uh, yeah, I, I really don't have nothing else. Hopefully by the time uh, this episode drops, I will have my new Star Wars arcade machine here and installed. And that's about all I got. I don't have any words of wisdom. I don't have any uh, fanfare to go out on. I'm just, uh, I'm just Sean. And like I said, these cows ain't got shit on me when it comes to gas. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I will. I refuse to let that become our tagline. <laughs> But god damn it, dude. That's so funny <laughs> Hey, if Kristen can have goats, damn it, I can have go uh, cow gas. She's <laughs> yeah, goat cults and <laughs> goat cults and cow gas. Welcome to the PFC Entertainment <laughs> Network. <laughs> oh my god. We got a half a pack of cigarettes, a goat cult, and some cow gas. Hit it. <laughs> yeah, dark and we're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> All right, we'll go ahead and put a bow on this week's episode. With any of you having questions, comments, feedback, show topic ideas, anything of the sort, hit us up over on our Facebook page. Look for Power Tripping Through the 80s. Our official online store is cafepress.com forward slash PFC Network. And, um, Head over to KlausTheHeart.net. It is the official website of the entire network. Uh, what's that? Don't we got a Klaus and Q show coming up on, on TV? I, that was my next... Uh, you want to stay the fuck out of my head? I don't have enough room in here for me, pal. I can't have you in there, too. <laughs> next Friday. Um, or, yeah. Uh, September the 29th. Uh, the Klaus and Q show returns to ON TV. Uh, myself and Quadell Edwards, always a good time there. And um, we did we did make arrangements. And Sean, we're telling you right now, our our November episode for the Klaus and Q show is going to be a preview of the Survivor Series. And I'm telling you what, with everything that's happened in the wrestling business in the last couple of weeks here. There is a lot of speculation as to how the Survivor Series is going to shape up, especially with it being held in Chicago. So anybody that's in the know um, knows what that could implicate. Now, rumor and innuendo is on full display right now. Nothing is being said. Nothing's been finalized. Nothing's been confirmed. But you know how the Internet wrestling community works. 
Um, and they get a nugget and man, all of a sudden it blows up and they think that they've got it all figured out. However, what it is doing is it has put a lot of spotlight on the next big pay-per-view of the big four, the survivor series. We're going to talk about it on the Klaus and Q show, another four man panel. Um, me, Hugh, Sean, Brian Balf, uh, we're going to break it all down. So check that out. But before we get there. September the 29th, the Klaus and Q show, me and Q will be on there. Looking forward to that as always. So with that, go out this week. Be awesome to yourselves and to each other. And we'll see you right back here next week with a brand new episode of Power Tripping Through the 80s here on the PFC Entertainment Network.